I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. Last time we were together in this book of Luke, Jesus was, uh, was a newborn infant. We saw that he was circumcised. Mary and Joseph brought him to Jerusalem according to the law of the Lord uh, to, to dedicate him in, uh, in the temple as the law of Moses had commanded them. And this evening we see Luke jumps ahead and Jesus is now 12 years old. He is an adolescent. So, uh, so please turn your attention now uh, to Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. And hear now the reading of God's inspired word. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her hearts. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, growing up, I went to a summer uh, Bible camp one time, and I was not, I didn't have uh, the best experience, and so thankfully, uh, my parents only made me go one time. But at this one-week summer Bible camp, my mom sent me a package with goodies and snacks and candy inside, but she had put it together in an old puzzle box. As a young kid, I saw this package, this puzzle box. I instantly thought my mom must have thought I was going to get bored. Immediately, my second thought was, I'm not that bored. Uh, putting together puzzles was not uh, my, uh, my favorite pastime at that point in my life. But when I got back from camp, I opened this package and realized it wasn't a puzzle at all. It was candy and goodies and snacks. And to my great pleasure, my mom had put a, a note in there saying I needed to make sure to share with all my friends and now I had it all to myself. Well, in a similar way, our God is a God who gives gifts to his people. He gives gifts to his people. It's always been this way, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And theologians call God's gifts, his special particular gifts, the means of grace. The means of grace. And these gifts, these means of grace, all have the same content. The same thing is in these packages. And it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And God uses these gifts to comfort his people, assure his people, confirm his salvation to 
his people. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God's gifts took on the, the packaging of the temple and the sacrifices and the ceremonies of, of the Old Testament law. But it still had the same thing inside. It revealed Christ. Christ was still the, the content of, of those gifts. In a similar way, in the New Covenant, uh, we don't use a temple anymore. We don't use sacrifices. We use the word and the sacraments in, in the local church. That's the packaging, as it were, but it still reveals the same person, Jesus Christ. You know, that is the temple or the word and the sacraments. That's, that's the puzzle box. But they all reveal Christ himself. And I fear that God's people can be tempted to view God's gifts in a way that's analogous to how I view that puzzle box. We merely judge it by the external appearance and we fail to truly discern the content of what's inside God's gifts. Instead, we put it on the shelf and we occupy ourselves with other things. You know, Paul himself in his, letter to the, in his letters to the Corinthians, said that the cultural elites of his day did this very thing. They judged God's gifts, the word, the sacraments as being weak, foolish, powerless, irrelevant. They judged it as merely a puzzle box and failed to realize that in these outwardly ordinary things, the very power of God exists, the power of God unto salvation. So I want us to consider this evening just a very simple question. How do God's people relate to God's gifts? How do God's people relate to God's gifts? I believe this, this text points us in three directions. Uh, first of which, we learn that we are obligated to receive God's gifts. Second, we, we are to understand the true content of God's gifts. And lastly, we are to avoid confusion over God's gifts. So as we seek to understand how God's people relate to God's gifts, I want us to first focus on this, this idea that we are obligated. God's people are obligated to receive God's gifts. Now, last time we were together in the book of Luke, uh, we saw jo Joseph and Mary's piety, their obedience on display. It was a section where the repeated refrain was they acted according to the law of the Lord. And we see this theme continuing here in our passage. Uh, if you look with me at your Bibles at verses 41 through 42, uh, we read this. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, the custom uh, that's being alluded to at this time is that Jewish families would go once a year to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. To remind you that Passover was this the central event in the life of, of, of Jewish piety, a time where they remembered God's gracious salvation of their forefathers from the land of Egypt. It was the central theme, the central imagery uh, of how the people of God would understand, would think of God's salvation. That's why Jesus and his work is described as this new exodus, this greater exodus for the people of God. But the law only prescribed males. Only males had to go. But we see here that Joseph wasn't the only one who went. Mary, his wife, went as well. So we see Mary's piety, her obedience, especially on display here, as they all went up as, as a family. 
And traveling to Nazareth uh, was not like, you know, boys and girls getting in the car and driving 15 minutes to church. This was an arduous journey. It was, from Nazareth to Jerusalem was 80 miles. 80 miles, it would have been a long um, strenuous journey. It would, would have taken about four days, and furthermore, there were um, bandits and robbers on this highway, which would also make it dangerous. So this was quite the sacrifice. It was quite the sacrifice. But I think the main idea we see here is Joseph and Mary, they were faithful in receiving God's gifts, God's gifts for them during, in, during the, the era in which they lived. So let me explain. God, as I mentioned already, God has always given gifts to his people. In the Old Covenant period, it, it, his gifts took on the form, the packaging of, of the temple, of the sacrifices. And here, even Passover, right? That was, that was how God gave his gifts to his people. That's how, how Christ was communicated ahead of time. It's through all of these, these rituals and these symbols. In fact, this is what our Heidelberg Catechism says in question and answer 19. It asks, how, do we, how does the Old Testament reveal the gospel? It says that during the Old Testament era, Christ, the gospel, or the gospel, was delivered through the sacrifices and the other ceremonies of the law, that everything that the temple represented is how Christ was communicated. Therefore, as Joseph and Mary were going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, we see that they were doing what every Christian has been obligated to do, receive God's gifts, the means of grace. But they were receiving God's gifts according to their time in redemptive history. At this time, that's what the people, that, Passover was one of the gifts that God had given to his people. So as I mentioned before, the wrapping paper, the box, the packaging, that can change. But the substance is the same, no matter, no matter what page of the Bible you're on. And now in the New Covenant, we know that God's gifts take a different form. They take the form of what's happening right now, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, the sacraments, the gathering of God's people, the context of public worship. We see this in the Great Commission. We see this in Acts. We see this in Hebrews 10, the pastoral epistles, throughout the New Testament. The people of God gathered on the Lord's Day for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, for the reading and hearing of God's word. The people of God have always been obligated to receive, to receive his gifts. This finds its ultimate legitimacy in the fourth commandment. Right? The fourth commandment where uh, the Lord's Day is meant to be sanctified by holy worship, corporate worship. Therefore, as I mentioned, the main idea I want us to see from this, this point is that we see Joseph and Mary faithfully doing their diligence and receiving God's gifts, and we all are obligated as the people of God to receive God's gifts according to the, the, the era in which we live and God's history of redemption. Well, boys and girls, um, we just celebrated Christmas not that long ago, and on Christmas morning, where do you look for your, your presents, your gifts? Do you look under your bed, under the table? I mean, there's lots of places you could look. No, you look under the Christmas tree, right? That's where you know your presents are going to be. Well, in a similar way, we can ask ourselves, where are God's gifts going to be found? 
And the Bible tells us that God's gifts are found in the local church. When the people of God gather, that's the Christmas tree as it were. That's where God's gifts are located. So you can almost think of gathering together on on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, as Christmas morning. That's when the people of God receive the gifts of God. And when I speak of this as obligation, it is an obligation, but it's a pleasant obligation. Similar to, to, you know, your parents saying, open your presents, right? That's obligation, but it's a good obligation. In the same way, the Lord's Day, this is meant to be a true holiday, a day in which we receive God's gifts. God's gifts. And it's also important to see the centrality of of the reception of God's gifts. I mean, for Joseph and Mary, as I mentioned, Passover, this was the central, one of the central parts of Jewish piety, right? The whole temple system, this was the main action of, of Christians during that time of redemptive history. You know, in a similar way, the, for us today, corporate worship, that's the main action of the Christian life. You know, it's not just a means to another end. This is the main action. You know, I played a lot of sports growing up. And imagine an athlete, right? An athlete who's anticipating an upcoming season. And what is it that really uh, excites them, motivates them as they think about that upcoming season? Is it the, the hours spent in the weight room, practice, running sprints or conditioning? Is that why they do what they do? No, it's the games, right? It's when the gym is packed or the Friday night lights are on or the smell of fall and football is in the air on Saturday afternoon. Like, that's what gets them going. That's the main action of an athlete. In a similar way, when we receive God's gifts on the Lord's Day, that's the main action of the Christian life. This is what we were created to do, what we will, will be doing in eternity, The first way we relate as God's people to God's gifts is recognizing that we have an obligation, obligation to receive God's gifts, just as Joseph and Mary did, uh, the new apostolic, uh, new covenant apostolic saints during that time, and we today, living in the 21st century, we are obligated to receive God's gifts. Well, what can we learn about the content of God's gifts? Well, in look, uh, this leads us to my second point that we're called to understand the content of of God's gifts. If you look with me at verses 43 through 49, uh, we read that after this Passover festival, Mary and Joseph depart. They leave and go back to Nazareth. Again, this was a big journey, about 80 miles. And they get back to Nazareth, and they they just assume that uh, Jesus was playing with cousins or friends or neighbors. And they realize, oh, no, no one's seen Jesus. He was not in the caravan. And like any parents, uh, like any parent would, they panicked. And they realize they've lost their son. And they go back to Jerusalem, uh, and they search for Jesus. And we read that they eventually found him in the temple. So again, if you look with me at verses 46 through 49, we read exactly this. Luke says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
We see a couple of things here in, in these verses. Uh, first of all, we see that Jesus, according to his human nature, is beginning to understand his mission, who he is, what he's about to do, why he's on the earth. In fact, this passage is really uh, sandwiched between these, these comments, these phrases in verse 40 and verse 52 about Jesus growing, growing in stature and in wisdom. I think sometimes we realize, oh yeah, Jesus grew, like he was a baby at one time and he was adult, but he also grew in understanding and wisdom. In order to understand this, we really need to understand that Christ was true man and true God. According to his divine nature, he's always known what the mission, the mission of God was. I mean, he was upholding the earth even in his incarnation. But according to his human nature, again, he, was a, he has a humanity that's just like us except for sin. So he, he had to grow in stature and wisdom and understanding. So an interesting question as we read the Gospels is, is when did Jesus, according to his human nature, begin to understand his mission of what he needed to do according to the will of God? And we see here at 12 years old, he, he had a good sense of what his mission was. As he was in the temple debating, and people were impressed, amazed that this 12-year-old has such, uh, such a, a wise answers and understanding. But I, let, I want us to focus particularly on uh, verse 49. In uh, verse 49, this is Jesus' reply to his parents. Again, Jesus says to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? To briefly comment on the grammar of of that last phrase there, I hope I'm not diving uh, too much into the weeds here, but I think it'll be helpful for us to understand what, uh, what Jesus is saying. Uh, the grammar of the original Greek manuscript here is a bit ambiguous at first. This is what it says, if you would translate it literally. It says, do you know that I must be in my father? Do you not know I must be in my father? Therefore, the work of the interpreter is to fill in the details. What, what is Luke implying when he says, or Jesus, that is, um, I must be in my father? What's the implication there? I think there's really two main options. Uh, two main options. Jesus is either saying, I must be in the business or the things of my father. That is, I must be doing the business of my father. I think if you're reading out of ESV text, it should be in the footnote. Or, as the VS, ESV, I think, correctly, uh, correctly uh, translates this, uh, you could render it as, I must be in my father's house. Uh, I must be in my father's house. So the interpreter has to make a decision. What does in my father mean? Is it the business of my father or is it a location? My father's house, that is the temple. And this preposition, this preposition in, in this particular construction is, is indicating a location. A location which would seem uh, to, to say that referring to my father's house is the best option. So Jesus is, is referring to um, uh, the temple. that He must be in his father's house. So I'd like us to dwell a few moments on the significance of these words. What's significant about Jesus saying this? And the temple of God has much, much symbolism. Much, much symbolism. It denotes the new covenant people of God. The temple finds its fulfillment in the people of God. It finds its fulfillment in Christ himself. It finds its fulfillment in the heavenly sanctuary. But it also denotes the place of worship. Right? The temple of God was the place of worship. It was the location where the people of God received God's gifts. 
It was the location where Christ was not only worshipped, but he was received. He was, he was given to the people of God ahead of time. And therefore, you can see the temple was the center, the center of Jewish piety, the center of Old Testament religion. Therefore, we see Christ here saying that it was necessary, it is necessary for him to be here in this place of worship. And it seems to make sense, doesn't it? If the temple is all about Christ, as we just got done saying, right, the temple's the packaging, but it's still communicating the same message of Jesus Christ, then it would seem to make sense that Jesus belongs in the temple. If the temple was merely pointing to him, it seems to make sense, it's fitting that he would be there. So Christ, Christ himself was cloaked during this time in the wrapping paper of the temple. And that's what he's showing. This, this close connection between the temple, and the, everything the temple represented, and him. It's fitting, it's necessary for him to be in his father's house. Well, what is our place of worship? Well, our place of worship isn't a temple. Rather, our, our worship isn't tied to a, to a specific location as it was in the Old Testament. It's wherever the people of God gather. You know, it could be in a school like we are right now. It could be in a cathedral. The place of worship is not substantive to, to our worship, to God's presence. It's when the people of God gather. We receive, we receive the same person as the Old Testament saints received. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he comes in the, the packaging of the word and the sacraments, not the outward glory of the temple. Or, to use the analogy I, I began with, Christ is in the puzzle box. Christ is in that puzzle box. I think oftentimes we can become discontent, almost embarrassed with the, the outward packaging of God's gifts. Uh, we don't like the simplicity of word and sacrament. It seems weak, it seems foolish, it seems irrelevant in our day and age. So we seek other gifts, right? Other gifts, things that seem more outwardly flashy, what happens when we do that is we lose the content. We lose Christ himself. And the church just becomes something else. It doesn't become a dispensary of Christ. It becomes something else, a self-help institution, entertainment venue, or whatever else this is seeking to be. So we have to recognize that God is the giver of his gifts, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he gets to decide not only the content, but also the packaging. He has told us he's worshipped. He gives his gifts through the simplicity of word and sacrament. You know, boys and girls, think of the best present you've ever received. Was it your favorite gift, your favorite present, because the box was so nice? Or was it because of what was inside? I'm sure you don't even remember the box it was in, because it's about the gift. So too, so too we have to recognize that the gifts that God gives us is about the contest, about Jesus Christ. That's what's important. So not only are we to understand the true content of God's gifts, but we also are to avoid confusion over his gifts. So in verse 50, we read that Joseph and Mary, they were confused about Jesus' words. If you look at verse 50, uh, we read that they did not understand the saying that, that was spoken to them. They didn't fully understand this connection, right? The connection between the temple and Christ, this place of worship that, that God's gifts 
came in this packaging of the temple, but it was really Christ who was inside, they didn't fully understand this connection. They didn't fully understand that the puzzle box had Christ inside. And this point really uh, piggybacks off of, off of the last point. So I, I chiefly want to focus on, on just the question is, how do we avoid this confusion? How do we avoid the confusion over God's gifts? Well, I guess to consider Mary's response. As she says that, uh, we read that Jesus' mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. She treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary didn't fully understand, comprehend the nature of what Jesus' words was saying, the true connection between the temple and Jesus, and even the full extent of his mission. But notice her, her attitude. She treasured up all these things in her heart. I think we, we learn here that she had a level of teachability, right? She had a level of teachability. And we, of course, will not exhaust the meaning of, of what Jesus has done or, or even the purpose of his church. We all... And some do we live in a matter of confusion. But I think what we learn here is that we are have a, teach, a heart of teachability, teachability to the words of Christ that we hear from his word. I think second, in terms of how we avoid confusion, I think this passage in, in general would have us ask ourselves, whenever we are receiving God's gifts, in the local church? Did we receive Christ, right? That is the central question. Did we receive Christ? Is Christ and him crucified the center of what we do, of our liturgy, of our preaching, of our singing, of our catechesis? Is Christ and him crucified? Right? Do we recognize that just as Jesus said, it is necessary for me to be in my father's house, it is necessary for Jesus to be in his new covenant house, that is the local church? You know, if the church becomes anything other than a dispensary of Christ, it has lost its legitimacy. I'd like to comment on verse 51 as a, as a brief side note. I think it, um, it's an interesting um, question to, to dwell upon. In verse 51, we read that Jesus went down with uh, his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. I think, one thing that, that comes up in this passage is it almost seems like Jesus, when he stayed in the temple and didn't go back to Nazareth, was somewhat not submissive, or wasn't as submissive as he could have been. And now we learn that he was uh, completely submissive to them. So how, how do we understand this? Because we know that Jesus never disobeyed the fifth commandment. We know that he, he uh, was perfect. So how do we understand this? And I think this um, illustrates a... A good point when, when the, those instances when there seems to be tension between the first table of the law and the second table of the law. There seems to be tension between the duties we, see, we owe to God and the duties we seem to owe to our neighbors or other authorities in our life. And here we see the first table takes precedence. The duties we owe to God takes precedence over just blind submission to, uh, to earthly authorities or our neighbors. In fact, I, I love John Calvin's words on, on this passage. He says, uh, Thus we ought to obey kings and parents and masters, but only in subjection to God. That is, we must not for the sake of men lessen or take anything away from God. I think we see that exemplified here. It's not that he was disobeying his parents. He realized that 
being in his father's house was, in, was submitting to the will of God. God needed him to be in the temple. And that took precedence at that, in this instance. Well, as we wrap things up, brothers and sisters, you know, the church, the word, the sacraments, what we do when we gather here each Lord's Day, it may have the appearance of an ordinary, simple puzzle box, but let us never forget, let us never forget that inside is the extraordinary power of God that saves us, sanctifies us. Let us never forget, as Jesus himself said, that it was necessary for him to be in his Father's house. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word indeed reveals Christ and him crucified. We pray that we would never tire of hearing all that he has done for us, not only to to save us, to justify us, but also to sanctify us, to change us, renew us after his image. We ask all these things in his name.